This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. A.C. Dixon was one of the most influential Baptist pastors of the early 1900s. He once told a story that illustrates how God delights to defend his people. He said, Rising early one morning, I heard the baying of a score of deer hounds in pursuit of their quarry. Looking away to a broad open field in front of me, I saw a young fawn making its way across and giving signs that its race was well nigh run. The fawn was about to die. Reaching the rails of the enclosure, it leapt over and crouched within ten feet from where I stood. A moment later, two of the hounds came over, and when the fawn ran in my direction, I pushed its head between my legs and lifted the little thing to my chest, and swinging around and round, fought off the dogs. I felt just then that all the dogs in the West could not and should not capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. That image of our weakness appealing to God's strength could not more beautifully illustrate the events of 2 Kings 19, and they are filled with hope and confidence for those under the vicious pursuits of the enemy of our souls as well. Verses 14 through 19 of 2 Kings 19 today, Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands, read it, and then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord, our God, please save us from his power, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. When we left Hezekiah and the people of the southern kingdom, Judah, they were in a terrible spot. After destroying Israel to the north, the Assyrians continued their conquest towards annihilating Judah now. We know that the destruction of Israel to the north resulted from the people's rebellion and their refusal to follow and obey the Lord and his commands. Their spiritual adultery in idolatry had caused God's judgment on them according to God's covenant promise. Second Kings 17 reveals this judgment as to the reason for their demise. Following their destruction, then, Assyria marches now toward Judah. After Tiglath-Pileser III destroyed Israel, 
Sennacherib, the new king of Assyria, sends messengers to speak to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and to threaten them with invasion if they do not pay the excessive tax burden levied on them. Hezekiah sends a delegation of men out to meet with the delegation from Sennacherib, and chapter 18 records their conversation. After their discussion, Sennacherib warns the people of Israel quite publicly in their own language not to trust Hezekiah because he was about to suffer the same fate as the nations before him, namely to be annihilated, particularly like their brothers in arms, the Israelites, to the north. Chapter 19 demonstrates what Hezekiah does with these threats. And it's impressive that Hezekiah ran to the Lord's temple and not away from it. Hezekiah sought counsel from the prophet Isaiah. He saw God as their only hope. In verse 3, the king uses the metaphor of childbirth and the sadness of a miscarriage to illustrate how hopeless they were in the face of the Assyrians. Hezekiah takes the letter that Sennacherib had sent. He takes it to the temple, and he spreads it out before the Lord in the temple, and he calls on God for help. But what is most interesting is that Hezekiah's prayer does not begin with Sennacherib. It starts with God. His prayer began by recognizing the power and the majesty and the glory of his God. He says, verse 15, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. You see, as imposing as Sennacherib and the Assyrian army was, Hezekiah recognized that there is only one real king of all the kingdoms of the earth, the one who made them all. How fundamental and yet profound is this discovery. Oh, that we would all see God as the divine architect of our history and the one who conducts and orchestrates his design flawlessly upon the canvas of our lives. The king calls on God to open his eyes and see the threats that Sennacherib had made. Hezekiah knew that the nation of Judah was God's chosen people, and that when you made threats against them, you were threatening God himself who would defend them. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 6 reads, For what nation is there that has a God as near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? Hezekiah had enough sense to do just that. And he spreads it out before the Lord, reminding God of his covenant promise and his character in being faithful to that covenant. Hezekiah is reminding God that his reputation was on the line in this matter. And he roots his prayer for deliverance in the fame of God's glory. His plea for deliverance was rooted in the covenant promises of God to his people and the glory of God in fulfilling them. Now that's critically important. Hezekiah knew that God's glory and their destiny were inextricably entwined, and God had a vested interest in the care of this nation. I mean, you have to wonder if Hezekiah had been listening to the words that Isaiah had been saying. This beleaguered prophet who had uttered the words of comfort to God's people for all these chapters, 
One wonders if these words of hope about a coming king undergirded the ruler's prayer. God's thunderous response to Hezekiah must have sent waves of confidence into the heart of this frightened king. God promises to put a hook in the nose and a bit in the mouth of Sennacherib and to drag him back to the land from which he came. He says not a single arrow or a siege ramp will be built upon this city, for the Lord himself will defend his city, Jerusalem. What an incredible promise that came true for that very night. Thousands of Assyrian soldiers were slaughtered by the hand of the Lord, and Sennacherib retreats right back to where he came from, just like the Lord had said. Even amid Hezekiah's prayers and counsel, the continued arrogance of Sennacherib's envoy is present, continually threatening the people's fate, even while Hezekiah is praying for deliverance. That means that Hezekiah had to tune out the noise of danger to hear the assurances of victory. Often, the voices that we listen to usually inform our attitudes in these moments. And who we listen to becomes of paramount importance. Will we listen to the words of God, or will we listen to the threats of man? Isaiah's words to Hezekiah here are some of the most remarkable expressions of the entire Old Testament. We learn very clearly here that the Lord is indeed a warrior who will defend his people. And I just, I just want to read to you the words that Isaiah spoke to Hezekiah. And I want you to see if you can feel the confidence rising to a boil as it must have for this frightened king. This is the word, I'm beginning in verse 21. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. That's Sennacherib. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and scorns you. Daughter Jerusalem, my daughter, as in God's daughter, my daughter Jerusalem shakes her head behind your back. Who is it you mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. Translation, you're messing with the wrong God here. You have mocked the Lord through your messengers. You have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choice cypress trees. I came to its farthest outpost, its densest forest. I dug wells and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up all the streams of Egypt with the soles of my feet. Have you not heard? <laughs> the Lord designed it long ago. You think you've done all this, but I designed all of that. I planned it in days gone by. I have now brought it to pass, and you have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble because I let you do that. Their inhabitants have become powerless, dismayed, and ashamed. They are plants of the field, tender grass, grass on the rooftops, blasted by the east wind. Maybe you don't know, but I am the one doing this, not you. Then he says, I know you're sitting down and you're going out, and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. 
because your raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears. I, translation, I've heard enough of this. And this is precisely what Hezekiah prayed, that God would hear with his ears. And Isaiah is saying for God to Hezekiah and to the people of Assyria, I know exactly what you're doing. I've heard enough of it. Therefore, verse 32, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here, not a single arrow. He will not come before it with a shield or build up a siege ramp against it. He will go back the way he came and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. <laughs> I said this, I myself will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Jehovah reminded Sennacherib through the words of Isaiah that God allowed him power to be victorious in battle up until this point. God had planned Hezekiah's enemies' successes, and now he would plot their defeat by dragging them back to where they came from. The Lord promised to defend this city personally and rescue it. Why? Well, the answer is for my sake, his name, and the sake of my servant David. His covenant promises. God took it personally when his people and his name were threatened, and he did something about it personally. We're told that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 Assyrians the same night as Isaiah's prophetic words to Hezekiah. Now, that phrase, the angel of the Lord, is quite significant. The precise identity of the angel of the Lord is not given in the Bible. However, there are lots of important clues to his identity. There are Old and New Testament references to angels of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, and then the angel of the Lord. And it seems when the definite article the is used, it's specifying a unique being separate from the other angels. And it's interesting, the angel of the Lord speaks as God. He identifies himself with God and exercises the responsibilities of God. Genesis 16, Genesis 21, Genesis 22, Exodus 3, Judges 2, Judges 5, Judges 6, Judges 13, 2 Samuel 24, Zechariah 1, chapter 3, and chapter 12. In several of these instances, those people who saw the angel of the Lord feared for their lives because they feared that they had seen the Lord. This is what's called the theophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So when we consider God's promise to defend this city for his name and the name of his servant David, it could be understood that the Lord himself did precisely that. He defended them himself by destroying 185,000 Assyrians. Now, the questions that we have for application for today. What if we had the confidence and the sense to do what Hezekiah did? We are the Lord's people. God's reputation is staked upon us as well. But somehow, we never experience that kind of victory, partly because we don't ever take the letter to the temple and spread it out before God. God delights in providing for his people. But we're so obstinate and oftentimes so stubborn that instead of placing all of our hope in God, we would rather commiserate and complain about how bad our life is with the people on the wall 
rather than getting alone with God in the temple and our problems, we'd rather complain about those problems with the people on the wall. But what if we turned to the Lord with our difficulties in prayer and allowed God to provide for our needs, thereby defending his name and his people? Our confidence would soar if we heard the words Hezekiah heard from the Lord. But all of that is predicated on our dependence on him for victory. Rather than running first to the throne, we'd rather see if we can figure it out first on our own. God wants to be our victory. He longs to show himself strong on our behalf, to be our refuge and deliverer. But that deliverance is often done through unconventional means. After the first confrontation with Sennacherib, Sennacherib is drawn away because he hears a rumor in his ear that they're about to be attacked, and he goes running back to Assyria, uh, and that's about as uncommon as you can get. He hears this rumor that God puts in his ear. But let's not forget that God delights in blowing our minds when we trust in him. But all of that victory starts on our knees in humble dependence on God as our first and last resort. Will we run to the temple and roll out the scroll before the Lord? Will we stake our survival on God's glory? Will we have the faith to start that time in prayer, not bemoaning the Sennacheribs of our lives, but extolling the Savior? The battle does not begin with addressing the enemy, but recognizing who God is. It starts with worship. It begins with seeing God for who he is. And once I see God for who he is, I can rightly assess the threat against me. But whatever I look at first in my life is the one thing that will seem more significant. If I focus on the threats first, they will seem impossible. But if I concentrate in worship on the majesty and glory of God, my enemies will pale in comparison. Inviting God into the storyline is essential not for God's sake. He already knows and hears, but there is something powerful that happens in my heart when I invite God on the inside, behind the curtain of my heart, to hear and see for himself the threat that is burdening me. It does something in me to humble myself and invite God inside to attend for himself what is burdening my heart. This is precisely what God will do in the coming verses. For indeed, these threats are against him and not against us. The enemy is not out to get us, but to attack the Lord's name through our lives. If the enemy can persuade us to worry and fret and fear, we're paralyzed. Just like Hezekiah, and in so doing, he brings dishonor to God's name through our lives. You see, the enemy may hurl their threats at us, but they are never about us. They are aimed squarely at the glory of God displayed in our lives through our trust in him by faith. So, when we anchor our lives and our destiny in the glory of God, and we live in alignment with God's purposes, as Hezekiah did, we can with confidence pray this prayer. When we're walking uprightly before God, God is indeed glorified in our lives when he triumphs over our enemies. When we walk rightly with him, following his precepts and direction, we can trust that he will defend us in the face of any enemy, because ultimately doing so brings him glory. The confidence of Hezekiah's prayer lies in a right relationship with the ruler of all creation 
You see, both aspects of this are critical for a prayer that aligns with God's will. We have to live uprightly as Hezekiah did, and then we may rightly and with confidence petition God to do what only he can do in our lives for his own glory. The world around us is a witness to God's power in us. If he chooses not to deliver, we have to trust that his purposes are bigger and that greater glory will be evident in our lives later. Either way, we have to make sure that our life aligns with God's purposes and that we are following him as Hezekiah did, meaning we destroy all the altars to idols along the way. We have to walk uprightly before him. And when we do this, we can have the confidence to spread these events out before him with confidence, knowing that his glory will be seen in our victory. So God, help us to take in these massive truths. Help us to realize that you long to deliver us when we walk uprightly before you. It brings glory to you. And when we are walking rightly and the enemy raises up his head to destroy us, what we must do in that moment is to set aside the voices of everyone else, get alone with you in our time and in the temple with you and roll out the scroll before you and say, God, look at these things for yourself. For in so doing, we declare our dependence on God. Our uprightness, coupled with our dependence on God to trust Him by faith, will be honored by God's marvelous and miraculous deliverance in our lives. Lord, help us to realize the need that we have for You. Help us to be desperate for You, as Hezekiah was. Help our first response to be to spread our problems out before You before your presence, and allow you to be our victory. Thank you for exposing the pride in us that wants to figure it out ourselves so that we get the credit. Help us instead to put that away and to rely on you so that you can be glorified alone. And help us live in such a way that you will be pleased to be our deliverance. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.